Story six of the Water Ghost and Others by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story six The Ghost Club An Unfortunate Episode in the Life of Number five zero one zero Part one Number fifty ten was at the time when I received the details of this story from his lips a stalwart man of thirty eight, swart of hue of pleasing address and altogether the last person one would take for a convict serving a term for sneak thieving the only outer symptoms of his actual condition were the striped suit he wore the style and cut of which are still in vogue at sing sing prison and the closely cropped hair which showed off the distinctly intellectual lines of his head to great advantage he was engaged in making shoes when i first saw him and so impressed was i with the contrast between his really refined features and the grace of his manner and those of his brutish-looking companions that i asked my guide who he was and what were the circumstances which had brought him to sing sing he pegs shoes like a gentleman i said yes returned the keeper he's wery troublesome that way he thinks he's too good for his position we can't never do nothing with the boots he makes why do you keep him at work in the shoe department i queried we haven't got no work to be done in his special line so we have to put him at whatever we can he pegs shoes less badly than he does anything else what was his special line he was a gentleman of leisure travelling for his health afore he got into the toils of the law his real name is marmaduke fitz appington de wolf of pelhamhurst by the sea warwickshire he landed in this country of a tuesday took to collectin souvenir spoons of a friday was jugged the same day tried convicted and there he's at's in for two years more how interesting i said was the evidence against him conclusive extremely a half-dozen spoons was found in his person he pleaded guilty i suppose not him he claimed to be as innocent as a newborn babe told a cock-and-bull story about having been deluded by spirits but the judge and jury wasn't to be fooled they gave him every chance too he even cabled himself the judge did to pelhamhurst by the sea warwickshire at his own expense to see if the man was an impostor but he never got no reply there was them as said there wasn't no such place as pelhamhurst by the sea in warwickshire but they never proved it i should like very much to interview him said i can't be done sir said my guide the rules is very strict you couldn't uh, arrange an interview for me i asked jingling a bunch of keys in my pocket he must have recognized the sound for he coloured and gruffly replied i has me orders and i obeys them just uh, add this to the pension fund i put in handing him a five-dollar bill an interview is impossible huh i didn't say impossible he answered with a grateful smile i said against the rules but we has been known to make exceptions i think i can fix you up suffice it to say that he did fix me up and that two hours later fifty ten and i sat down together in the cell of the former a not too commodious stall and had a pleasant chat in the course of which he told me the story of his life 
which, as I had surmised, was to me at least exceedingly interesting, and easily worth twice the amount of my contribution to the pension fund under the management of my guide of the morning. My real name, said the unfortunate convict, as you may already have guessed, is not 5010. That is an alias forced upon me by the state authorities. My name is really Austin Merton Sirens. Ahem, I said, then my guide erred this morning, when he told me that in reality you were Marmaduke Fitzappington de Wolfe, of Pelhamhurst by the sea Warwickshire. Number 5010 laughed long and loud. Of course he erred. You don't suppose that I would give the authorities my real name to you? Why, man, I am a nephew. I have an aged uncle, a rich millionaire uncle, whose heart and will it will break were he to hear of my present plight. Both the heart and will are in my favor, hence my tender solicitude for him. I am innocent, of course. Convicts always are, you know. But that wouldn't make any difference. He'd die of mortification just the same. It's one of our family traits, that. So I gave a false name to the authorities, and secretly informed my uncle that I was about to set out for a walking trip across the great American desert, requesting him not to worry if he did not hear from me for a number of years, America being in a state of semi-civilization, to which males outside of certain districts are entirely unknown. My uncle, being an Englishman and a conservative gentleman, addicted more to reading than to travel, accepts the information as veracious and suspects nothing, and when I am liberated I shall return to him, and at his death shall become a conservative man of wealth myself, see? But if you are innocent, and he rich and influential, why did you not appeal to him to save you? I asked because i was afraid that he like the rest of the world would decline to believe my defence sighed fifty ten it was a good defence if the judge had only known it and i'm proud of it but ineffectual i put in and so not good alas yes this is an incredulous age people particularly judges are hard-headed practical men of affairs my defence was suited more for an age of mystical tendencies. Why, will you believe it, sir, my own lawyer, the man to whom I paid eighteen dollars and seventy-five cents for championing my cause, told me the defence was rubbish, devoid even of literary merit. What chance could a man have if his lawyer even didn't believe in him? None, I answered sadly, and you had no chance at all, though innocent. Yes, I had one, and I chose not to take it. I might have proved myself non compos mentis, but that involved my making a fool of myself in public before a jury, and I have too much dignity for that, I can tell you. I told my lawyer that I should prefer a felon's cell to the richly furnished flat of a wealthy lunatic, to which he replied, Then all is lost. And so it was. I read my defense in court. The judge laughed, the jury whispered, and I was convicted, instanter of stealing spoons, when murder itself was no further from my thoughts than theft. But they tell me you were caught red-handed, said I. Were not a half-dozen spoons found upon your person? In my hand, returned the prisoner. 
the spoons were in my hand when I was arrested, and they were seen there by the owner, by the police, and by the usual crowd of small boys that congregate at such embarrassing moments, springing up out of the sidewalks, dropping down from the heavens, swarming in from everywhere. I had no idea there were so many small boys in the world until I was arrested and found myself the cynosure of a million or more innocent blue eyes. Were they all blue-eyed? I queried, thinking the point interesting from a scientific point of view, hoping to discover that curiosity of a morbid character was always found in connection with the eyes of a specified hue. Oh, no, I fancy not, returned my host but to a man with a load of another fellow's spoons in his possession and a pair of handcuffs on his wrists everything looks blue i don't doubt it i replied but uh, just how now could you defend yourself when every bit of evidence and you will excuse me for saying so conclusive evidence at that pointed to your guilt the spoons were a gift he answered but the owner denied that i know it that's where the beastly part of it all came in. They were not given to me by the owner, but by a lot of mean, low-down, practical, joke-loving ghosts. Number 5010's anger as he spoke these words was terrible to witness, and as he strode up and down the floor of his cell, and dashed his arms right and left, I wished for a moment that I was elsewhere. I should not have flown, however, even had the cell door been open and my way clear for his suggestion of a supernatural agency in connection with his crime whetted my curiosity until it was more keen than ever and i made up my mind to hear the story to the end if i had to commit a crime and get myself sentenced to confinement in that prison for life to do so fortunately extreme measures of this nature were unnecessary for after a few moments serenz calmed down and seated himself beside me on the cot drained his water-pitcher to the dregs, and began. "'Excuse me if we're not offering you a drink,' he said, "'but the wine they serve here, while moist, is hardly what a connoisseur would choose except for bathing purposes, and I compliment you by assuming you do not wish to taste it.' "'Thank you,' I said. "'I do not like to take water straight. Exactly. I always dilute it, in fact, with a little of this.' Here I extracted a small flask from my pocket, and handed it to him. "'Ah!' he said, smacking his lips, as he took a long pull at its contents. "'That puts spirit into a man.' "'Yes, it does,' I replied ruefully, as I noted that he had left me very little but the flask. "'But I don't think it was necessary for you to deprive me of all mine.' "'No. That is, you can't appreciate the necessity unless you—' uh, you have suffered in your life as I am suffering. You were never sent up yourself? I gave him a glance which was all indignation. I guess not, I said. I have led a life that is above reproach. Good, he replied, and what a satisfaction that is, eh? I don't believe I'd be able to stand this jail life if it wasn't for my conscience, which is as clear and clean as it would be if I'd never used it. Uh, would you mind telling me what your defense was i asked certainly not said he cheerfully i'd be very glad to give it to you but you must remember one thing it is copyrighted 
"Fire ahead," I said, with a smile. "I'll respect your copyright. I'll give you a royalty on what I get for the story." "Very good," he answered. "It was like this. To begin, I must tell you that when I was a boy preparing for college, I had for a chum a brilliant, fun-loving fellow named Hawley Hicks, concerning whose future various prophecies had been made. His mother often asserted that he would be a great poet. His father thought he was born to be a great general. Our headmaster at the Scarberry Institute for Young Gentlemen prophesied the gallows. They were all wrong, though for myself I think that if he had lived long enough almost any one of the prophecies might have come true. The trouble was that Hawley died at the age of twenty-three. Fifteen years elapsed. I was graduated with high honors at Brasenos, lived a life of elegant leisure, and at the age of thirty-seven broke down in health. That was about a year ago. My uncle, whose heir and constant companion I was, gave me a liberal allowance and sent me off to travel. I came to America, landed in New York early in September, and set about winning back the color which had departed from my cheeks by an assiduous devotion to such pleasures as New York affords. Two days after my arrival I set out for an airing at Coney Island, leaving my hotel at four in the afternoon. On my way down Broadway I was suddenly startled at hearing my name spoken from behind me, and appalled, on turning, to see standing with outstretched hands no less a person than my defunct chum Hawley Hicks. Impossible, said I. Exactly my remark, returned number 5010, to which I added, Holly Hicks, it can't be you. But it is me, he replied, and then I was convinced, for Holly never was good on his grammar. I looked at him a minute, and then I said, But Holly, I thought you were dead. I am, he answered. But why should a little thing like that stand between friends? It shouldn't, Hawley, I answered meekly, but it's condemnably unusual, you know, for a man to associate even with his best friends fifteen years after they've died and been buried. Do you mean to say, Austin, that just because I was weak enough once to succumb to a bad cold, you, the dearest friend of my youth, the closest companion of my school days, the partner of my childish joys, intend to go back on me here in a strange city? Hawley, I answered huskily, not a bit of it. My letter of credit, my room at the hotel, my dress suit, even my ticket to Coney Island are at your disposal. But I think the partner of your childish joys ought first to be let in on the ground floor of this enterprise and informed how the deuce you managed to turn up in New York fifteen years subsequent to your obsequies. Is New York the hereafter for boys of your kind, or is this some freak of my imagination? That was an eminently proper question I put in, just to show that while the story I was hearing terrified me, I was not altogether speechless. Oh, it was indeed said fifty ten and hawley recognized it as such for he replied at once neither said he your imagination is all right and new york is neither heaven nor the other place 
the fact is i'm spooking and i can tell you austin it's just about the finest kind of work there is if you could manage to shuffle off your mortal coil and get in with a lot of ghosts the way i have you'd be playing in great luck thanks for the hint hawley i said with a grateful smile but to tell you the truth i do not find that life is entirely bad i get my three meals a day keep my pocket full of coin and sleep eight hours every night on a couch that couldn't be more desirable if it were studded with jewels and had mineral springs that's your mortal ignorance austin he retorted i lived long enough to appreciate the necessity of being ignorant but your style of existence is really not to be mentioned in the same cycle with mine you talk about three meals a day as if that were an ideal you forget that with the eating your labor is just begun those meals have to be digested every one of them and if you could only understand it it would appall you to see what a fearful wear and tear that act of digestion is in my life you are feasting all the time but with no need for digestion you speak of money in your pocket well i have none yet i am the richer of the two i don't need money the world is mine if i chose to i could pour the contents of that jeweller's window into your lap in five seconds but qui bono the gems delight my eye quite as well where they are and as for travel austin of which you have always been fond the spectral method beats all just watch me i watched him as well as i could for a minute said fifty ten and then he disappeared in another minute he was before me again well i said i suppose you've been around the block in that time huh he roared with laughter around the block he ejaculated i have done the continent of europe taken a run through china haunted the emperor of japan and sailed around the horn since i left you a minute ago he was a truthful boy in spite of his peculiarities hawley was said Sirens quietly so i had to believe what he said he abhorred lies that was pretty fast travelling though said i he'd make a fine messenger boy that's so i wish i'd suggested it to him smiled my host but i can tell you sir i was astonished hawley i said you always were a fast youth but i never thought you would develop into this i wonder you're not out of breath after such a journey another point my dear austin in favour of my mode of existence we spooks have no breath to begin with consequently to get out of it is no deprivation but i say he added whither are you bound to coney island to see the sights i replied won't you join me not i he replied coney island is tame when i first joined the spectre band it seemed to me that nothing could delight me more than an eternal round of gaiety like that but austin i have changed i have developed a good deal since you and i were parted at the grave i should say you have i answered i doubt if many of your old friends would know you you seem to have had difficulty in so doing yourself austin he replied regretfully but see here old chap give up coney island and spend the evening with me at the club you'll have a good time i can assure you the club i said you don't mean to say you visions have a club i do indeed 
the ghost club is the most flourishing association of choice spirits in the world we have rooms in every city in creation and the finest part of it is there are no dues to be paid the membership list holds some of the finest names in history shakespeare milton chaucer napoleon bonaparte caesar george washington mozart frederick the great mark antony cassius was blackballed on caesar's account galileo confucius you admit the chinese eh i queried not always he replied but con was such a good fellow they hadn't the heart to keep him out but you see austin what a lot of fine fellows there are in it yes it's a magnificent list and i should say they made a pretty interesting set of fellows to hear talk i put in well rather holly replied i wish you could have heard a debate between shakespeare and caesar on the resolution the pen is mightier than the sword it was immense i should think it might have been i said which one the sword party they were the best fighters though on the merits of the argument shakespeare was way ahead if i thought i'd stand a chance of seeing spooks like that i think i'd give up coney island and go with you i said well replied hawley that's just the kind of a chance you do stand they'll all be there to-night and as this is ladies night you might meet lucretia borgia cleopatra and a few other feminine apparitions of considerable note that settles it i am yours for the rest of the day i said and so we adjourned to the rooms of the ghost club end of story six part one